Hello and welcome to episode 3 of Michael and Mom Talk Cancer. I'm your host, Michael. <laughs> and I'm Ashley. I'm his mom. Thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, seriously. Thank you guys so much for listening. The support has been amazing. Literally, we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Yes, we've gotten great feedback and we still have so much to share. So thank you so much for tuning in again. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the bone marrow transplant. Yes. Dun, 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 dun. So we've had a bit of a difficult time explaining this one, but basically my doctor told it to me in the simplest of terms. Do you remember, Mom? <laughs> I do. I do remember. So Dr. Galvez came in and... He, he explained to me that I needed a bone marrow transplant, and the main reason why was because the type of cancer that I had, the only way to make sure it wasn't going to relapse or give me the biggest chance of it not coming back was through a transplant. Because if you don't get a transplant and you get this cancer into remission or no evidence of disease, it can still hide out places and come back super aggressive and that's just not something I wanted to take a risk with. So he explained the bone marrow transplant to me like this. He basically said what they're going to do is eradicate my old bone marrow through chemotherapy and through radiation and after they completely eradicate my old bone marrow they are to replace it with a new bone marrow eradicate he sounds so official today okay okay well i'm trying my best here mom (laughs) okay so yes they eradicate my old bone marrow and then they replace it with a new one which the goal is to get a 10 out of 10 match and the best way to get a 10 out of 10 match would be from a family member but unfortunately none of my family members were 10 out of 10 matches yeah so we went on the registry and thankfully found a 10 out of 10 match from Europe who was willing to donate their stem cells to me. And basically what happens is these stem cells are infused into me and over time my body will learn to accept these stem cells and it will hopefully become my new bone marrow, cancer free and fully functional for the rest of my life. Yeah, two sets of DNA, not bad. That's yeah, pretty cool, you know? Yeah. So you started out though, so he ha- he went through his three cycles of chemo that we talked about. Then yeah. you had to do radiation as well, right? Yeah, radiation before the transplant. So that yeah. was like for about four days. Do you remember that? Yeah. We So we were admitted to the hospital. And then you spent the first four days that we were admitted on this routine of... Waking up at 5.30 a.m., going... Because they, they can't do radiation at Nicholas Children's. They just don't have it there. So the only place they could do it is a hospital that was about 15 minutes away called Baptist. And I would go there every morning at 5.30 a.m., get transported in there. In ambulance. Yes, it was fancy. You know? Fancy and fun. Got to ride in an ambulance, can't complain. But it was 5.30 a.m., so yes, I can complain. I was tired. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, we would get in the ambulance, go there. I would get my morning treatment, and then I'd get my treatment in the afternoon, and then I would come home. I mean, in between, we would hang out. Yeah, back to Nicholas. In between, we would hang out in the room, and hopefully Michael wouldn't throw up, because radiation doesn't make you feel good. Oh yeah, radiation makes you exhausted and nauseous and loss of appetite and all that not so fun stuff. And then after that four days, you had one day of quote unquote rest. (laughs) Yes. And then I received this chemotherapy called Atgam for two days, and that's like the most intense chemotherapy I pretty much ever received in my life. But I didn't feel it until 
I'd say four days after my transplant. Because I remember getting my transplant, you know, sitting there in bed. I was just like, okay, you know, it's not so bad so far. I'm Actually, just... on Benadryl, he was basically yeah, sleeping. I, I, was, I was basically <laughs> sleeping, yes. Because I was yeah. out on Benadryl. And I just remember feeling okay that day. Not too bad. Just pretty tired. And I was like, okay, this isn't going to be so bad. Because I've been told the worst part about transplant is really, you know, the mouth sores. You know, the vomiting. And I was like... Okay, I've already been through that during chemo, so Wait, how bad can it be? I have to say something. When you just said that about mouth sores, I remember the nurse practitioner when Michael was still like more an oncology patient as opposed to a bone marrow transplant patient. And I remember her saying oh my gosh, just wait. When you're in the BMT, the worst thing is going to be the mouth sores. And I remember Michael and I were like... I was so happy. Yeah, we were so happy. We're like, mouth sores. Okay, he's been through that. If that's the worst part of a bone marrow transplant... It's going to be like a breeze for you. We were wrong. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, and let me tell you, those mouth sores, they put me on an IV drip of morphine 24-7 because of those mouth sores being so bad. Yeah, because it's not just in, so think about they're in your mouth, but it goes down, it went down through his throat, it goes down through your whole system, and so it comes right out the other end. So he literally had mouth sores. From head to toe. From head, Literally, yeah. and it was... I'm not going to describe it, but it was a very painful process, you know, just going to the bathroom every day and little things like that that you don't really think about would be difficult for sores like that, but it, it really is. And it made life in transplant so hard. And, you know, I just remember being there with these mouth sores and I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would try to just swallow and I would be in so much pain that I would have to click my morphine drip to give me a push of morphine because every time I just swallowed my mouth would hurt so much and and he's not like a wimpy kid actually we had to convince him in the beginning I remember the doctor pulling me out of the room and saying I really want Michael to take the morphine drip I know he doesn't want it but he was in so much pain that in order for him to heal and for his body to heal he had to be have a little bit of relief from that pain and um, you don't like to have pain medications. You don't like to not feel like yourself. But it was a really necessary part of the healing process, right? Yeah, it definitely helped a lot. But, you know, it was just so difficult to be in bed all day on morphine. You know, I was seeing, I was having these severe, like, hallucinations, actually, a few days after my transplant. And that was, it was crazy. Because I remember the first week of my transplant pretty well. And then I'd say weeks two to four when I was in there, it's kind of like a blur to me. I don't remember much at all because I was on so many medications. I was, you know, I had vomited over 30 times in the span of a few days. I popped my blood vessels from vomiting, you know, and I remember trying to go on my phone and answer text messages from my friends who were checking up on me. And I couldn't even do it because I couldn't look at a screen without wanting to vomit. Because when you have popped blood vessels and you try to look at something, it just makes you nauseous. One of the most challenging things was just trying to get up to shower. I remember, you know, one night I was really tired, and they're like, "You have to shower every day. You have to shower every day." And I was like, "That that's part of that's part of one of the rules in bone marrow transplant is every day changing the sheets." all the bedding completely, and every day you have to shower because you have 
no immunity. And that means from yourself, from your own sweat, from your own bacteria, from your saliva. You have to wash your mouth. You have to wash your face. You have to wash your body every single day. Yeah. It was so difficult one day that I remember standing up, going to the bathroom and looking at myself in the mirror attached to all these poles and being like, okay, Michael, like you're strong, like you can do this. There's like a reason you're going through all of this. And I remember almost like just sitting on the f- like the, the floor, there's a chair in there actually, and being like, I can't do this. But then I remember just standing up in the shower and I was like, okay, I'm going to stand. I'm going to try my best. And I remember taking that shower and then for some reason I felt like so accomplished just that I could shower. I don't know how to describe it, but it was like one of the biggest victories I had in there was that day just getting up to shower and I had to have my mom help me actually get up from my bed to get to the shower but I was like no mom I'm gonna shower alone I can do this and I remember just feeling so happy after I did that and I felt so accomplished just being able to shower it was just a weird thing to me just the small victories I had to celebrate every day when I was in the hospital just to get myself by were insane yeah, that, that's obviously we've had, we've been talking about it. We've had so many life lessons, but that has certainly been one of the life lessons is sometimes the smallest victories, the smallest things that happened are, are, are those are the most important. And, you know, this also sounds a little harsh. I'm kind of listening to this. And if, if a child, for example, is feeling too weak out of bed, of course they 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 do help you of course they give sponge baths in bed of course that happens but for michael it was part of his process that every day he really wanted to get out of his bed he wanted to make it to the to the bathroom and you know take his shower in there and i don't know if he remembers there was one night so michael went through something called engraftment syndrome and um As I said earlier, sometimes when you get a bone marrow transplant, obviously when you get any kind of transplant, your body is going, will reject something. That's why he's wiped clean. Well, in Grafman syndrome, it's in the beginning and it's when your body is rejecting the donor. And that happened to Michael. And when he was talking about hallucinations, I remember very clearly that night, he started, uh, everything started swelling up a little bit. And they were worried because his when you start swelling too much, that means your intestines, that means your lungs, that means everything, all, all of your vital organs are swelling up. And I remember even that night, which was a night that I, if I'm honest, I was not sure that he was going to make it through that night. Even that night, he had me help him. That night I did stay with him in the shower. I don't think you remember that, but I did. He had me help him. We went into the bathroom, cleaned him. I got him back into bed and did a lot of praying that night. And he did make it through morning. And that was one of your next times that steroids saved your life. Because that night they started him on another high dose of intravenous steroids. Yeah. don't know if you remember that. I, I just, I don't remember exactly, but I do remember... Dr. Gava is walking in and explaining that I would need to go back on steroids and at a higher dose through the IV. But to be honest, those most intense weeks I look back on, they're more of a blur just because of how everything was going. It was so, you know, I can't even explain it. All I, all I remember is just 
you know, the hallucinations. I remember I would be talking to somebody that was not in the room. I was like, mom, why is my grandpa here? Like, what is he doing here? I would be on my phone and I'd be playing a game on my phone. And then I'd open my eyes and I'd be just holding my hand up, pretending like I'm on my phone. Yes, it, it was it was definitely scary. I mean, I would look over at him and he would be he would be like he would be doing a pantomime of eating food. I would see him like as if he were holding a fork and putting food in his mouth or swiping on his phone and there'd be nothing in his hands and his hallucinations were so strong that it was, you know, manifesting physically. Those were some very intense days. I didn't even realize how serious the situation was until course like months later because I was barely I felt barely conscious during that time and it was just so I look back and to think about that it was so scary yeah it was it was scary for this mama too but you know thankfully when they started me on those steroids things actually cooled down and I remember we had this little pedal in the room that was just like a little rehab type pedal thing that you can just put my feet on and move around a bit and I would do that when I started the steroids because I was starting to feel a little better. And then slowly I began getting more out of bed and walking around a little bit. And that was when things had started to turn around. And I was pretty conscious. I still had a lot of pain, but I was being weaned off the pain medications. I was having talks of going home in about two weeks. And I remember just being like, okay, you know, hopefully all this is behind me now. I can start recovering and and grafting now yeah that's that was the biggest thing was that waiting for his waiting for the bone marrow to do what they call engraftment so basically what happens is when you get the cells from the donor it's like michael said you get an infusion it looks like you're just getting blood like you're you know and um but little by little that blood those specific cells from the stem cells they make their way into your marrow and they can tell this when they do their every single day. They do what's called a CBC, a complete blood count. And little by little, you would see his numbers. It, like white blood cells would be zero, 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 A and C, zero. And then finally one day, there's like that point one, And you're like, oh my God, he's got point one, <laughs> And it was this like amazing thing, um, like watching it happen. But also a lot of people, I think, would text Michael or reach out and think that he would be just like in the what, hospital. Yeah, what are, what are you doing all day? How are you not <laughs> bored? And even the same for me. Like, but it's just the process. It's so intense, and there's so much happening all the time. And yeah, and even on those maybe one hour a day where I felt, you know, decent, what I'd just do would be, I'd literally just build some Legos with my brother because he would come <laughs> yes. by and. And, you know, maybe I'd stand up and sit on the couch with him if I was able to. And really, that's how I one of the main reasons I got through that was having my brother visit every single day and have my mom there with me every single day. And I'm so grateful that I was able to spend the night there with my mom, because if she wasn't there during the nights, I don't know what I would have done because you know I was vomiting so much at a certain point and I was so sick throughout the transplant, you know, fevers, everything. And I really needed my mom there. And I'm so grateful that she was there. And I remember one time when I, I think it was right when I'd stopped hallucinating and I was on the steroids 
I would ask my mom, what do you want? What do you want? Like, I'll, I will, I'll get anything for you. I need to give you a gift. Like, I felt so bad because she was doing so much for me. And I was just sitting in the bed feeling helpless all day. And of course, I'm his mom and my greatest pleasure in the world. And all I want to do is help my kid. And I was like, Michael, seriously, there's literally nothing you could do for me. What I want you to do for me is get healthy. But then in secret, I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, wow, I'm getting wrinkles. I really could use some wrinkle cream right about now. (laughs) I told that to my friends, but it was really a joke. I don't want anything from him except him to be healthy. Yeah, I think that was so funny because I remember you posted it on Instagram and I did. so many people <laughs> messaged you and actually wanted to get you wrinkle cream. And I know, it was, it was kind of funny. Yeah, it was a <laughs> funny moment we had together there. Yes, but all I really wanted for him was I wanted him to get healthy. Mm-hmm. One thing that was really shocking in the beginning was I heard that Everything that goes into me and comes out, I have to track. It had to be measured. I'm talking about the bathroom. So as gross and as nasty as that sounds, for five and a half weeks, I had to urinate in a cup and go number two in a hat every single time I went to the bathroom. Oh my gosh. And I remember in the beginning, because we actually, we were in chemo. And one time when he was in chemo, they asked for a stool sample. Yes. They asked for a stool sample and we were like, oh my God. And he had to, he had to make, do have a bowel movement in like what we call, they call it a hat, but it's like this plastic. It looks like an upside down hat. And, um, and they were like, oh yeah, get used to it. Because when you're in the bone marrow transplant unit, you'll be doing all every single time you have a bowel movement you'll be doing in a hat and we were like oh my god that's going to be so hard but it's so crazy how you do we were talking about adapting you adapt right yeah you adapt and you know i could i look back now and i'm like oh that'd be so miserable but when i was there it was just part of my life one thing i remember is just everything in the transplant was so intense like every single food i ate every single tiniest sip of drink that went into my body I had to tell them, and I tell them exactly how much. Everything was documented and charted and listed everywhere and told exactly to my doctors. Yeah, because yeah, they kept balance. So, for example, if he drank a certain amount of fluids and he only urinated like less than that, then he would end up with his favorite medication, (laughs) Lasix. Lasix. (laughs) Lasix is not a really fun one. It basically makes you go to the bathroom nonstop, and I'm talking about peeing not stools or bowel movements and you know it's so it's, it's annoying it's very annoying because yeah it will last for about two hours and during that two hours literally like every five minutes he would have to pee and you know the nurses even though in the ratio in the bone marrow transplant unit it's either one nurse per patient depending or two but still you know, they weren't in the room like every single minute. So I would be documented. Do you remember we had a whiteboard and I would had a whiteboard measuring the (laughs) liters of urine that I would give during the day. Yes. It literally was our life. It was just normal. It was just, how much was that, Michael? Yeah. And then, you know, it was just our conversation with my mom every day. Exactly. you You just, you too, gosh, adapting is like our word for the day, but that's really what it was. And you just kind of get used to it and, it's amazing. 
um, I'm just going to say this really fast because I thought this was funny. I remember before going into transplant, asking some of the nurses, like, doesn't that gross you out when you have to like measure stool and everything? And none of them, not like one of them, some of them would get grossed out about vomit. Don't you remember that? Yeah, some of them would. <laughs> They'd be but... like, vomit is so much worse. And I'd be like, really? But I guess I kind of understood in the end. Mm, me too. It's, yeah, it's just crazy. We also got really close to your like bone marrow transplant doctor and nurse practitioners. I was so surprised at how much time they would spend coming in, talking to us, explaining what was going on. Really, I've, I've never seen care like that. They would, an hour, they would come in and explain what was going on with Michael's body. Like literally every day making rounds, they would take so much time. I was so blown away by that. I'm sure you were too. Like we really understood so much of what was going on as opposed to being in the dark and just treated. I feel like we were like partners with them on what was going on. And they were so encouraging about, you know, Michael keeping his chin up. Yeah, physical activity as well, I think was huge. It was huge, and and um, I know Michael keeps saying that it was really hard to get out of bed, but he really literally did make that effort every single day at some point, even his lowest of low days of somehow like getting himself out of the bed. On the days he was feeling better, he would walk around the room. I remember it was probably about a week before we went home that they let you take a walk outside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh wow. my God. I remember because I'd been in the hospital for about four weeks in the same exact room, no air. My doctor was like, okay, you have enough immunity to go outside. If you just wear a full gown, you put on gloves, you put on a mask. I basically had to put on like a whole hazmat suit. <laughs> and I remember that. More like a surgical suit, but yeah. Yeah, close, well, close. Close, close enough. <laughs> and I remember the child life specialist, you know, she took me outside Ellie. for the first time. <clears throat> and it was, it was, I was tired because you went, we had to walk to the elevator and then take the elevator downstairs and then walk outside. And that was like a mar. It felt like a marathon for me. And I'd never felt so weak. Like, I was, like, shocked by how weak I got, you know, just from those four weeks in the hospital. Because, you know, it, considering what the walk is now, it's a short walk to get to the elevator. And it's a short walk to get outside from where I was. But at the time, like, that, like, left me winded. And I remember her asking me, oh, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm going to push through this because I need to get some air. And it was so worth it. Like, I just remember... I took off my mask outside and I just took the biggest breath of fresh air ever. And that was just one of those moments where I felt like just so at peace and so like, okay, there's light. There is a positive to this. Like I'm coming through on this, like I'm improving every day. And that was one of those life changing moments that I'm never, ever going to forget because it, it truly was just magical. And it felt so unreal after being in a, hospital room that's completely sanitized completely sterile for four weeks oh i i remember and of course my perspective i'm not inside of michael's body but from my perspective i of course i took that walk with them and i was outside with them and i remember watching michael and i remember telling him i'm like take your mask off and take a breath and i remember when he took off his mask and he took that breath in i felt like I don't know, like, which is one of like the biggest high in the world. 
that is as trite as it sounds in the cliche. It was just like one of those best moments ever that makes you appreciate just taking a breath and being alive because I was not sure I was going to see Michael outside and breathing, you know, in the air. And it was, it was just beautiful and the most fulfilling thing ever. I think one of the most fulfilling moments, it was up there with giving birth. (laughs) Yeah, because I, I was literally given a new birthday, a new life with this transplant and October 27th, the day which I received my transplant is my new birthday. It's literally a chance at my new life. And it's just, it's crazy to think about the fact that, you know, some donor, some random person from Europe gave me their stem cells. And that's the reason why I'm here today because of, you know, be the match. And because of that, I was just going to say, be the match. Yeah, we, we are so grateful. And I'm, it's just insane to me. Because, you know, a bunch of my friends actually joined the registry now for Be The Match. And my brother is on there as well. And it's so moving to see people around me change because, you know, they've seen what I've gone through and how important and life-saving being part of a registry like that can be. Before you went in for the transplant, I remember there was a, a day that we were sitting in your room, you and your brother Stephen and Jennifer and I, and we were talking and we were talking about the scariest part of the transplant for you. And the scariest part was not the transplant. The scariest part was the radiation. I want I want you to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, the radiation was so scary to me because um, I just didn't know what radiation was. And I was told you have to be alone in a room. And I hate being alone. And it's like a humongous room. And the door is completely shut off. And you're just standing there alone for long periods of time. And the real reason why I was actually super scared was because I had a simulation done for radiation before because you have to consult with them. It's a very serious and specific thing. And I passed out during the simulation. Like I just fainted because I was standing for too long and it was I was starting to sweat. And I remember when I fainted, you know, I was holding on, trying to stand, and I just kept thinking, I can push through, I feel fine. And then all of a sudden I start to breathe a little heavier and... I'm like out of breath and I get really nauseous and before I know it I wake up and I'm on the floor and there's literally a hundred people in that room I'm hooked up to like this machine taking my oxygen they give me oxygen and all of a sudden like I'm in this wheelchair I'm not wheelchair I'm in this a gurney like a gurney yeah this gurney being transported to the pack you at Baptist and it was so scary and I was like, if this happens to me during the simulation, what is the real radiation going to be like? Because I wasn't even receiving any treatment during that time. But, you know, something changed. You know, I went in for the real radiation and, you know, I just, I don't know how, but I didn't, I didn't pass out. You know, I just stood there during the treatments, you know. They let me play music, actually, on a speaker. And I think that was the most important thing was I was in there alone in the room and my music was playing so I made a specific playlist that was super you know emotional to me and motivational at the same time so that I would kind of be distracted by the music but also pushed by it and I put my favorite songs on there and I remember just listening every time to those songs and being motivated to push through because of the memories those songs brought to me and I was like okay I need to do this radiation and get through this 
and I can relive these moments that these songs make me feel. But not only music, also Michael had something, and I think, I believe that we all have this, that when you need to rise up, you can do it, and he did. He, he There was something in him that clicked with radiation, and he was terrified of it, and he found something in him, and he found his strength, and he rose up, and he met this huge, enormous fear of his. You know, I had so many what-ifs in my mind. And, you know, this going through that radiation treatment kind of taught me that what-ifs aren't real. They're just what-ifs. And I've still learned, like, I, that lesson I take with me today, every day, with everything I go through, it's just, I hear a what-if in my mind, I say, nope, it's, it's not. It's not true. So you were in this room, you were in the hospital, for uh, five and a half. Okay, so we were in this hospital for about five and a half weeks. So what did we do? Do you remember what we did to make it homey? Yes, we had to decorate the room I was going to be staying in because, you know, if you're somewhere for five weeks, it has to become like your home. So what we did was we put this huge avatar poster up on the wall and all these little pictures all over the room. We had these amazing lights and there was just one quote that we had right in front of the bathroom that I would look at directly from my bed every single day and it said it's not what happens to you it's about how you react that matters and every single day when I would wake up and be in pain and struggling I just would look at that quote read it and it just hit me every day oh my god that makes me so happy because actually <laughs> he's never actually said to me before until right this moment i didn't know how impactful like that quote for me that was our theme and we talked about it all the time but i, d I don't think i really realized that you like looked at it every day i like put it there on purpose i did because, you know it was, it was right in front of me and it also was it was how i felt because i couldn't control at all what happened to me but the one thing i did learn to have control over was how i was going to react to this situation and react and adapt you know specifically to spending five weeks in a hospital yes oh my goodness but it was i think we're really lucky and honestly i don't know if it's like that in an adult situation um but at the pediatric hospital i remember asking them i was like can we bring a few things because we're going to be there for so long they're like yes you can decorate the room and it was it people would walk into our room i remember being like oh my god your room is so warm and so cozy because we had like warm lighting we also had a diffuser so it smelled good and that helped with headaches that helped with nausea we had music going most of the time like we did do our best we made it as homey as possible and it and really it, sorry to cut you off but it just really felt as like so healing in there like it wasn't like i was of course, I was in a hospital attached to a pole, multiple poles at a time, actually. But, you know, it, it was the most healing and beautiful environment it could be for really what it was. Yeah. So that helped a lot. It did. We're, we are so grateful that they let us do that because it was like it became like our, our little studio apartment, actually. Even though we had nurses coming in and out 24-7, it was still our little our little haven. And I felt like everyone that came into that room felt our energy, which was really really nice thank you guys so much for joining us today seriously and listening to this podcast i'm so grateful for all the support we are and we also just want to let you know that we're here for you questions comments anything please reach out to us we truly appreciate you listening and we 
want to share this with you and help others. So yeah, thank you guys for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. Yes. <laughs>